0: We are unpacking five ways to show love to one another. Physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, and giving of gifts. Jesus lived a life of perfect love for God's people. The greatest responsibility and opportunity for a Christ follower is to practice loving God and neighbor like he loved us first. It's our prayer that the love of Christ will be the greatest gift in your home this Christmas. Now, tune in as we study what love is and how to show it.
1: good morning. Hey, so I'm going to play a little bit of a mind reader this morning. Um, One, I know that many of you in the room are thinking, oh no, I would have rather sang more songs because that was awesome. Um, I get it. It just means you'll have to come back next week because we're going to keep singing together. Um, And then the other thing that I could read out of your minds this morning is like, how in the world are they bringing together this whole idea of five love languages? Some of you've read the book. It's been around for a long time. This, this concept that each of us has, has a unique language in which we best give and receive love. Last week, Pastor Jeff kicked off the whole series and talked about physical touch. If you didn't get to be here that morning, you can go back online and check that out. Today, we'll turn our attention to words of affirmation, and then we'll talk about the idea of, of acts of service and quality time and eventually the giving of gifts. And you're thinking, you've even asked the question, how in the world are we going to talk about the Christmas story with the idea of love languages? Well, what I hope that you'll do this morning um, is is hang on. um, Because in the same respect that we may be wondering, what in the world do the five love languages have to do with Christmas? I would say that most of the cultural representations that we have of Christmas have absolutely nothing to do with Christmas. Looking around to see if I see any seven-year-olds in the room because I don't want to burst any bubbles this morning. But a lot of what we spend our time on, hashtag elves and reindeer, has literally nothing to do with the idea of Christmas. But but because we know that out of his abundance of love for us, God in our weakness and in our sin gave us a Savior to reconcile a people back to him, I would stand in between all of the cultural expressions and Christmas and say these love languages may have more to do with it than what we think. Uh, You guys who know me for a long time, I've worked at Rolling Hills Community Church for 15 years, and this campus has only existed for four. So I've had a lot of different jobs along the way. One of my favorite roles in the life of Rolling Hills was serving as the kids pastor at our Franklin campus. And once a month, the kids worship leader would call all of the kids who had a birthday that month to come and join her on stage. And I was always integrating new volunteers into the mix, and it was one of their favorite things. And so if you were the second grade volunteer, you'd send up all your September birthdays and then your October birthdays and then your November birthdays. And without fail, every single November, it was more than double the number of kids on stage of any other month. And without fail, I would have one well-meaning volunteer come to me and say, Nick, is our ministry all of a sudden just like doubling in size? Are Are we really reaching that more families with young children? And I would say, let's just count backwards from nine. Happy Valentine's Day. That's where all those November, at, without fail, every single time we got together for the November birthdays, it was literally double any other birthday month. We're going to practice together this morning, counting backwards from nine, um, and to figure out not specifically the timeline of the birth of Jesus Christ, but also his cousin, John the Baptist, and what in the world that would have to say to us about the giving of God's goods, gifts, In love. It's a little bit of a scavenger hunt that will go on through scripture. If you're a fast page turner, you can start in Luke chapter 1, but then make your way back to Zephaniah. If you don't want to turn a whole lot of pages, then just land on Luke 1. We'll get there eventually. There's a lot happening here. In Zephaniah chapter 3, starting with verse 2, it's talking about God's chosen people, his specific nation of Israel, and the way that they're behaving and living their lives. It says, she obeys no one. She accepts no correction. Y'all know somebody like that. So do I. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are unprincipled. They are treacherous people. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. God explains after generation and generation just how very wicked his people had become. And then he goes on to say, hey, look at what I'm doing among you. I've literally wiped out other nations for a fraction of this disobedience. I've literally dealt with them in discipline. And so he says in verse 7, of Jerusalem, I thought, surely... Surely you will fear me and accept correction. Like, surely you're going to see what's going on around the world and begin to start to pay attention to God. You're thinking that sometimes now in your own mind. Surely this is going to be the thing that helps somebody pay attention to God. Look around what's going on in the world. Surely this is going to be the thing that ignites in them a desire to pursue Jesus. Surely you will fear me and accept correction, God says. Then the place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all my punishments come upon her. It says, but they were still eager to act corruptly in all they, they just didn't learn. God literally explained how he handled other disobedient situations, other cities, and thought for sure Jerusalem would finally reckon and listen. And then it says in verse 17 of Zephaniah chapter 3 the Lord your God is with you. Like in spite of all her wickedness, he still enacts a promise to be with them, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you in his love. He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And I'm looking at that verse and I'm paying attention to the words that it says. And I'm like, God is a mighty warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with singing. I don't think of mighty warrior and a guitar at the same time. Like they don't go together to me. But this God who saves us longs to sing over us with words of love and affection. And so I ask people this morning, I ask you guys right now, like, do you believe, it's in your notes if you're following along, taking a lot little ideas so that you can remember things later and don't follow? Do you believe in God's affection toward you? Like, do you do you really believe that the great God of 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 this whole universe loves you deeply and, and desires to have a relationship with you? Or is it because you hear this internal voice of some seventh grader when you were a child? Do you do you hear this voice of somebody picking on you and making fun of you and you have carried that shame with you your whole life and you feel like somebody who is unlovable and unworthy? Is it the parent who did not offer to you words of meaning and hope and affection that, that didn't tell you that they loved you and that you were lovely? Is that the voice that you hear inside your head when you could be hearing the voice of Almighty God as He pronounces a judgment of love upon you? Like, is it hard for you to receive affection towards God because of the ways that others have treated you in this life or the way that you have treated and feel about yourself? Do you believe? That the God of this great universe who created absolutely everything in it loves you with an everlasting love that knows no limit and has a plan for you, desiring the absolute best for you. We say often in the life of this congregation that to believe something is to both hear it and heed it. In fact, the Old Testament Hebrew word shema literally means both hear and obey. Do you hear that God loves you? And does that frame everything about your life? You fast forward in the life of Israel towards the end of the Old Testament, literally the very last words through the prophet Malachi. Zephaniah had already pronounced a horrible judgment on the people of God, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, because of their disobedience and their wickedness and their desire to continue in their own ways. Malachi does the exact same thing. And then he concludes his work by saying, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you. Before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Like God, in the middle of people's wickedness, in the middle of people's sin, in the middle of people's total desertion of Him, He's still pronouncing a possible blessing. Hey, I'm going to send Elijah. And he's going to turn hearts of parents and children back to one another. I know that's the prayer request of people in this room. Like you're literally hearing that in a literal way. Like, God, would you please bring my wayward son or my wayward daughter or my distant children home, not only to me, but also to you in faith. Some of you are thinking that very same thing about your parents. God, would you bring my mom or my dad back to me in a right relationship, but then also back to you in total reconciled faith. Like you long for that Malachi Chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 to come true specifically in your life. And then we get 400 years of silence between the closing words of the book of Malachi And the opening words of the book of Matthew. 400 words of no prophet coming and bringing a word of the Lord. And 400 years of no word of a prophet coming and bringing a challenge from God. Literally 400 years of silence. But that didn't mean that God wasn't moving. And that didn't mean that God's people weren't faithful. 200 plus years into the whole mix. The Greeks have ransacked Israel and their temple. And we have the making of a tiny holiday that you and I know as Hanukkah, but maybe we don't know the story of why it happened. About 160 years before the first pages of the book of Matthew, Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes had literally come into the Jewish temple and he launched a full campaign against the Jews. This guy was Hitler on steroids and the challenges that they faced in those moments would continue to be the challenges that they have faced throughout recorded history. He Sacrificed pigs on the altar in the Holy of Holies in God's temple and totally desecrated it in order to worship Zeus. And there was a faithful priest, history records for us, a faithful priest by the name of Mattathias who decided he would revolt. Nobody was going to trash God's temple that way. Eight years of a rebellion where he eventually died and his son, whose name was Judah, took over. Judah was nicknamed the Hammer because he didn't bring his guitar. This guy brought a sword and he led the charge. Hammer is the word Maccabea, so we get the Maccabean revolt. Y'all, they won. They won, and they were able to take back their temple, but it was so disgusting and so defiled that they had to cleanse it and purify it before they could worship again. They only had enough oil, this is the legend, for one night, and yet miraculously the menorah remained lit for eight days, which is why we have eight days of Hanukkah, which is my, my family and I, we celebrate Hanukkah every year because we're like, well, Christmas, that's just one day, but Hanukkah, we get eight. This is fun, right? So we dive in and celebrate the miracle of the oil because that's how long it took to press new olives into new oil, to continue burning the menorah while they purified the temple. The word Hanukkah means dedication. So in the midst of 400 years of silence, in the midst of 400 years of God not speaking, in the midst of 400 years of not a prophet coming and bringing words of hope and words of affirmation and words of joy to the people and words of instruction about how they were supposed to return to God in the middle of that 400 years of silence, they get a momentary miracle and they turn it into a holiday called the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah that Jesus himself in John chapter 10 celebrated. Like, did Jesus celebrate his own birthday? Did they gather around and sing and blow out candles and talk about, like, do you say Merry Christmas? or do you say happy birthday? Like, what is it? So, no, but he celebrated Hanukkah, the miracle of the lit lamp. And although we have no words from God during that season, we do have a people of God faithfully serving him, and it carried. Because if you get to the New Testament and you go past Matthew and Mark to the third gospel, the book of Luke, in chapter 1, it says in verse 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, his wife Elizabeth, also a descendant of Aaron. Like, it was really important for Jewish people to be able to trace their lineage all the way back. So Aaron, Moses' his brother, both of these people came from the priestly line of Aaron. In fact, Jews, even to this day, can often, way before Ancestry.com, literally trace their entire lineage all the way back to Abraham when God crafted a people, to Moses when God rescued a people, to David when God established a people. They can trace their lines that far back, and here's Zechariah and Elizabeth, who have not heard a specific word from a prophet of God in literally 400 years, and yet they are, in verse 6, righteous in the sight of God observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, literally worshiping and serving God. No new words from God, no evidence of the presence of God, literally since the Hanukkah miracle of God, and yet they're still faithfully serving, if you read on, amidst their own personal challenges, because in verse 7 it says they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old I want to give you a word of affirmation today that you personally, like maybe going through a really deep, dark struggle or a season of waiting where, where you feel like God is being silent? Where you where you feel like He's forgotten to pay attention? Where you feel like He doesn't hear you or or see you? It's it's been a while since you heard Him loud and clear. You come to this place and you sing out loud, and yet you don't feel the way that you think you're supposed to feel when you sing songs. You you read and you don't feel or hear the things that you think you're supposed to feel and hear when you read these words, and yet you are hoping and praying and diligently trying to remain like Zechariah, like Elizabeth, like Mattathias, like those so dedicated to God. That's what they did. I listened to a message this week by Pastor Louis Giglio in Alpharetta, Georgia, and he's talking about Luke chapter 1, and he says this, we are a generation walking by feelings and not by faith. We're a generation that gets our clues from how we feel rather than what we read. We get our clues from the vibes all around us, and then we interpret through those clues what our confidence in God should be versus getting our clues from God and his faithfulness in the past so that we can have confidence to faithfully walk with him even when we're not feeling it. He goes on to say, so, so if you're not feeling it, I mean, say it, but let that be a prelude to your faithfulness and your pursuit of God, anyway, he says, "There's nothing in this word, not a single thing, that says our faith is to be corroborated by our feelings. But everything in this world word indicates that our feelings should be informed by our faith. Doesn't matter if we feel it." we can still remain dedicated to God through it. It says in verse 8 that once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. It It was basically his day, his duty. He was on call and he went in and when the time came for the burning of incense all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Remember, it's 400 years of silence. God has not come on the people with a prophetic word yet. God has not come to rescue the people, not now from the Greeks anymore, but from the Romans who have literally followed in their suit ten times worse than they ever had a chance to be like literally the people of God are oppressed and they haven't heard a word about his rescue and yet when Zechariah goes in to burn some incense what's outside faithful worshipers who are still even though they're not hearing it even though they're not feeling it faithfully worshiping God and then it says in the story that the angel of the lord appeared to him verse 11 standing at the right side of the altar of incense and when zechariah saw him he was startled and gripped with fear don't judge you would be too and then it says the angel said to him in verse 13, "Do not be afraid Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born." We're going to reference that later so you can underline it in your Bibles to know that sometime even before John the Baptist was born, we're going to talk about that specific prophecy again. In verse 16 it says, "He will bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Do we need to go back and read Malachi chapter 4 again or do y'all remember what it said? That God would send Elijah. That he would turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. Look at this. He, John, will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient To the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 400 years after God spoke that specific word, the first recorded words that we have of Him again are to a faithful prophet who doesn't have any kids telling him that not only am I going to address your specific problem, I'm going to address all of the people's gigantic problem by bringing them back to one another and bringing them back to me. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along. You like how he says he was old but that she was just well along in years? Like maybe that was just a nicer way of saying like, like I'm old, she's just seasoned. (laughs) Then the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. Y'all know that name. He's from the Christmas story you're familiar with. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. It was 400 years before Israel heard a word from God. And now it's going to be 40 weeks before Israel hears a word from Zechariah. Because the guy has to be silent for the next nine months. There is a lot of internal and then also external biblical evidence that points to the fact that when John the Baptist was conceived, because of the the times and the lines and the duty of divisions, they, they not only kept a really good accurate record of what their ancestry was, they also kept a really good accurate record of who's on duty at what time. And so scholars have been able to trace Obviously, with some margin of error, the fact that John the Baptist might have most likely been conceived around the time of the Jewish month called Sivan. It's their ninth month. That put his due date, y'all hold your breath for a minute, right around the Jewish holiday of Passover that we observe at Easter. We don't know that for sure, but we can count backwards from nine. Regardless of when he was conceived, The very idea of this struck Zechariah so much. Faithful, committed, obedient, consistent Zechariah that he had a hard time believing that God was going to come through from him. Listen, even in the gift of faith that I've been given, I have a hard time sometimes believing that God is going to come through for me. Not believing that he's somehow too busy for me or that he hasn't heard from me or that he doesn't want to listen to me. I know you get that way. Like, I know that there are moments when you feel as if God is too occupied doing more important things than paying attention to you. You and I, we cannot cherish God's word for us. Like, and we want to. Like, I want to believe that he loves me. I want to believe that he sings over me. I, I want to believe that he hasn't forgotten me until we affirm God's word in us. That word is Jesus Christ. And listen, even then, Even when you've been walking faithfully with God for decades, it's still a struggle. Because the world's hard, and we're human. And there are moments when we're just not feeling it. So Zechariah struggled to believe, and and yet God's promises still came true. Pick back up in verse 23. It says, When the time of his service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And she says, the Lord, like she got to talk. Zechariah didn't. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. Here she was, Elizabeth, whose whose husband could not speak. Y'all, Susan's like, Mercy, where do I have to go to get one of those miracles? Man, what I would not give for Nick Allen to just quiet down for even one week, much less for some of y'all. Some of y'all are adding that to your prayer list right now. You're like, Lord, please, I mean, don't hurt him in any way, but please let my husband just mm, keep quiet for a while. Y'all think, Husbands, don't even say that you're thinking about that. I really advise you strongly against laughing right now, men. Um, don't say that, like, you don't, and don't, don't add that to your prayer list. Elizabeth wasn't the only faithful woman in this family, who, who in this moment didn't struggle to believe. Mary, who you know in the Christmas story, her young cousin, was visited by the same angel Gabriel and offered a, a very different response. He stands before and he tells her, hey, you Mary are, are highly favored among women. Um, you're gonna conceive and give birth to a son and he's gonna be called great. He's gonna be the salvation of his people. And she's a virgin. She's not married yet at this point. Like like it's still a ways away before she's gonna come and like, like her, her mama told her where babies come from. And so she's asking him not out of a lack of faith in what he's saying, but really just a curiosity about the biology of it all. She's like, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. And he literally looks at her and says, the the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. This child is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, and he's going to be your Savior, your Messiah. And this response that Mary made, you ought to highlight Luke chapter 1, verse 38 in your Bibles, and you ought to repeat it to yourself and to him as much as you can this week. It ought to be a, a verse that we memorize and one that we emulate, because she literally responded to the call and the plan of God in her life by saying, I am the Lord's servant. Like, I need to say that more often. May your word to me be fulfilled. May what happens to me, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though I'm going to be challenged by it, even though nobody's going to believe it, may what you just said happen to me exactly the way that you said it, because I am, regardless of how hard this is, God's servant. When we trust God's word for us, we can confirm God's word for others. When we trust God's word for us, we can confirm God's word for others. Wow. According to what Scripture says, it was Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy when when, when Mary came to visit her. You know what time that would have been on the Jewish calendar if John the Baptist was indeed conceived? In Sivan, it would be the month of Kislev. And I don't know if this was when Christ was conceived, when the power of the Holy Spirit came on Mary and planted that child in her, but I do know what happens at Kislev. It's Hanukkah. And I think it makes so much sense. God may be laughing at me right now. Oh, Nick Allen, you think that you've got it figured out. It's not me. A lot of other scholars have believed this for generations. But you know what happened at Kislev? It's Hanukkah. The people of God faithfully worshiped God for providing a a miracle of light. Wouldn't it be just like our God while people were celebrating light to give the great light? Wouldn't it be just like our God while people are being reminded to be dedicated to their father that he gave them, the son? The perfect example of what it means to be holy and completely set apart and dedicated regardless of when it was. I want you to be encouraged and affirmed by what happened. In verse 41, it says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with, like this baby that was filled with the Holy Spirit. You heard that, what the angel prophesied to Zechariah that the child would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. Now this baby who was filled with the Holy Spirit, at the sound of Mary's voice leaped and Elizabeth's, like literally kicked and leaped in her womb. And she herself was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, I'm sure I'm glad that she's part of this story because Zechariah is still mute. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me and as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears the baby in my womb leaped for Joy, talk about an affirmation. Can you imagine Mary's life being visited by an angel trying to figure out who do I tell what just happened to me too and who is going to believe what's going on in my life? Like what in the world is happening? And this angel visited me and now I'm pregnant because I know what that means, but there is no more confirmation of what that guy told me and now my cousin says. As soon as I heard the sound of your voice, the baby inside me leaped for joy. And I'm declaring right now with my voice that this will be my Lord and Messiah. I think, hard right turn, that when you and I hear the idea of words of affirmation, that we're just thinking that we ought to be nice to other people, and we should. That's low-hanging fruit. Please be kind. Okay, please say nice things. Please compliment one another. I like your sweater. Um, uh, that's a really cool jacket. Did you get new glasses? I mean, come on. Compliment one. Like we need to hear it. Like sometimes we just need to hear somebody else say nice things to us. How about you worked really hard at that, and you did a, a good job. I can see all the effort that you're putting forth. I'm really thankful for our friendship. Words of affirmation, absolutely. Please give those. But what about the words of affirmation of the things that we can see God doing in someone else's life? We did a series this fall on the fruits of the spirit. We hung banners all across this room. Some of you can still picture it. It said love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What about beyond the fact that somebody just got a haircut and it doesn't look awful? You actually look at them and say, I can see The way that the Holy Spirit of God is developing patience, long-suffering, self-control in you. Thank you for your kindness. I can see the effort and goodness that you're giving in this world. I can see the way that you're being gentle. when, When your life is literally falling apart and it's difficult, I'm acknowledging in you the fact that you are remaining faithful and consistent and dedicated to God. Why don't we affirm in people the things that we see that God might be doing in their lives? Can you affirm the way that you see him working? Sometimes your words of affirmation might just be the very confirmation that someone else needs to remain faithful at just the right moment, and you don't know it's the right moment, but they're going to look at you and you're going to see it on their face and they're going to say, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that. When we trust that God's word is for us, that he's literally singing songs of affection over us, we can literally confirm the word of God and the plan of God and the will of God in somebody else's life. And you know what happened? Right when Mary heard those words of confirmation from her cousin Elizabeth, it says in verse 46, Mary said, it's called her song, the Magnificat. It's It's like a famous thing that we read at Christmas my soul glorifies the Lord. Some of your Bible translations say magnifies. Literally just makes huge the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Church, sometimes the way that we act and the words that we say and the way that we live behave are the reasons why people curse God. And wouldn't it be so much better if the words that we say and the way that we act and the ways that we live are the reasons why people worship God? People need to be encouraged by God's word in order to fully trust in God's plan. So the story of John continues in verse 57. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby... Remember, we think it's around Passover time. She gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord was, or had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy, literally a celebration. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who, they're literally arguing with her about the name of her baby. That's why some people keep a tight lip whenever they're pregnant. Like you say, oh, honey, when are you due? And she's like, oh, I'm due in um, March. And we say, oh, have you picked out a name yet? And she says, yes, but we're not telling anybody. Translation, you're going to make fun of it if we do. <laughs> you're going to tell me that you knew some fourth grader way back in the day who had that same name and was a jerk or that your mom has that same name and she's real mean. Like, are you going to tell me that it sounds funny with my mouth? Like the reason why people keep that name tight-lipped is because they know you're going to argue with them. So here's Elizabeth saying, hey, my baby's name will be named John. And they're like, are you sure? Like, wouldn't you rather name him after his father, Zechariah? Like, wouldn't you rather name him after somebody in your family line? They've got ancestry that goes all the way back to Aaron. Don't you want to name him Aaron? Like, let's just name him after somebody in your family who has that name. And then, verse 62, y'all, if I was Elizabeth and I had just given birth, some of y'all feel it. You're like, you're fuming. Then they made signs to his mute father to find out what he would like to name the child. And she's like, do not go to a man and ask what we're going to name that baby. Like, you're going to try to one-up the mother who had just given birth to the child and go to the dad and say, well, let's see what the dad, uh-uh. the women in the room are fuming. They're like, do not go and ask a man what we're going to name this child. So Zechariah asked for a writing tablet. He can't talk. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. The Bible says, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. It says all the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking, rumors spread fast. People were talking about these things. Everyone who had heard about this wondered about it, asking, when is the ch- what is then the child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. You can read the rest of Zechariah's song. Go, go, go finish Luke 1 this week. 400 years go by and God starts to speak again. First through his angels and now through his people. Zechariah praised God saying, look at the mercy that we've been given. Look at the rescue that we've been shown. Look at the way that God is making us able to serve him again with holiness. And if you go down to verse 76 about his own son, he says, you, my child. I can picture it. Can you like holding his baby eight days old and saying, you, my child will be called a prophet. It's been 400 years since we had one of you guys. You're going to be a prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people knowledge, to give them words, to give them understanding, to give them clarity, to give them instructions, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness. In Zephaniah, the world was dark. In Malachi, the world was dark. And in every other place in between, the world was dark. And yet God comes in and brings the people light. He says the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. It had been 400 years since people had heard a word from God. And now Zechariah is pronouncing the coming of that word we ought to be encouraged by it that the god of the universe sees us and hears us and desires to speak to us and to sing over us and to use us to accomplish his will to further his message in the world you know words can can make and words can break the greatest lie that we teach children is sticks and stones may break my bones but words may never hurt me gosh that's a lie they hurt worse And you've heard your fair share. And you might have dished out your fair share of hateful, discouraging, unfaithful words. And you've heard your share of faithful, discouraging, hurtful words. So we as the people of God have to choose our words kindly. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. There is no need in the world like the need for salvation and the need for somebody to see a literal word from Jesus, that it may be a benefit to those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All of this stuff about what we say and how we say it and when we say it matters. It's the opportunity for somebody to curse God or to bless God and to be sealed by God in his forever family, what you and I believe and what we say and how we say it matters. So we should be dedicated Hanukkah to Christ in order to get it right. Colossians chapter 4 says, be wise. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Y'all, I really want you to be nice to the other people in this room. But man, I want you to be kind to the people outside this room. Let's not be the reason why somebody curses God. Let's offer words of affirmation, words of hope, and and words of love so that they will trust in God and know how very much he loves them. It says, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. There is no greater grace than the grace of God that gave us Jesus. Season with salt so that you may be able to answer everyone so that you can offer a word of affirmation, so that you can offer a word of hope. Be kind, pay compliments, but talk about this. Talk about this hope. Talk about this joy. Talk about this peace. If we do our math correctly, and Jesus was, in fact, conceived at Hanukkah, add nine. You know what you get to? Another Jewish holiday. The Feast of Booths. The festival of the tabernacle. It's when the Jews remembered that their ancestors had wandered around and lived in tents in the book of Exodus while they were waiting on God to take them into the promised land. It's the moment that they remember that God himself came and dwelled by smoke and fire into the tabernacle that they had set up into the tabernacle that they worshipped him. It's the moment when they celebrated the fact that God came to be with them, Emmanuel, God with us. It would only make sense that God conceived to give us the great light of the world while his people were concentrating on a miracle of light. And it only makes sense, we don't know, but we can count from nine, that the great God of this universe who chose to dwell with us would give us his son in a moment when we're thinking, wow, God loves us enough to be with us. And he has a plan for us. So let's be part of that plan and offer those words of hope and love and peace and encouragement to everybody around us because it's Christmas and Christ came. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to be in this place. As we gather to continue worshiping and looking at the idea of Christmas and, and focusing on what it means to be yours, Father, I pray that you would help us to be Hanukkah, wholly dedicated, wholly set apart, completely focused on you. My mercy, there are so many distractions at Christmas. And we're reconciling today, God, that this Christmas story might have a whole lot more to do with love languages than it does with most of the stuff that we think about at Christmas. Elves and reindeer and stories, all the distractions, God. And yet you gave us your son as an expression of your great love And as an example of the love that we should show to others, may we be dedicated to that. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray today. Amen.
0: Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. And lastly, from the church family to your family, Merry Christmas.